Tychicus will come, uh, will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, Write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Thank you, Jim. Wonderful. Friends, do keep uh, that bit of Colossians open. And let me pray again as we open God's word and expect him to speak. Father, please, would the meditation of uh, our hearts be pleasing in your sight? Would we dwell richly in the scriptures now and find your spirit uh, bringing them to life for our good and your glory, we ask. Amen. When was the last time you caught a train? Maybe it was relatively recently for work, or maybe even a half-term trip out somewhere. Uh, Maybe it was a while back. That's the case with me. Either way, I'm sure an experience we can all remember on a train is that of overhearing someone else's loud mobile phone conversation. It's, It's an awkward moment, isn't it? You know you really shouldn't. You don't really want to. But often you can't help it because of the volume the conversation is being held at, but you end up listening in to what the other person is saying. You can learn quite a lot that way. You learn all about Bob and Sharon and their relationship status, their work situations, their family news. It's actually quite a good way to pass the time on public transport. I recommend it the next time you're on a train. What has that got to do with us today? Well, I think as we come to the final words in the book of Colossians, it's like we're listening in on a conversation between Paul and the church in Colossae. We're eavesdropping in as Paul shares his heart with these Christians he's writing to. Except we're allowed to listen to these words today. We don't need to feel awkward or guilty as we listen in. In fact, the Holy Spirit has inspired this conversation to be recorded in our Bibles for us today. And that's important, because if we're being honest, these verses don't seem very visionary on first reading, do they? It's a big, long list of names, about as exciting as reading the phone book. 
But rather than just write these verses off as a simple who's who of the early church, we should ask why God has wanted these words to be part of our Bibles for all time. And I think part of the reason is to remind us that Christianity is wonderfully down to earth. That letters like Colossians were written to real Christians who really lived 2,000 odd years ago. You see, the Christian faith is undeniably historical. It's based on events that took time and took place in space-time history as Jesus lived, died and rose again. Those are events that can be investigated today. They're a matter of public record. They didn't take place hidden away in a corner somewhere. And you see, it matters that Christianity has a reliable historical basis. It doesn't matter to other religions or worldviews that their founder are dead, whether Mohammed or Marx or Mao Zedong. But it makes all the difference to Christianity if Jesus is dead. If Jesus is dead, Christianity comes crashing down just like a house of cards in the wind. That's because at the heart of Christianity is a tangible historical claim that Jesus rose from the dead. And if you're here with us today and you're not yet a Christian, let me encourage you to examine this historical basis for this claim. It is a basis that stands up to scrutiny, which means that faith is reasonable, informed by evidence, not believing something that we know isn't true. And Christianity is the story of God's work in history, building his church, saving real people like you and me through their faith in Jesus. And reading the names of these long-dead fellow Christians reminds us of that. These Christians really lived. This letter really was written to them. They really did trust the risen Jesus, like we do. But I think there are some more specific lessons that we can learn from listening in to this conversation between the Apostle Paul and the church in Colossae today. Lessons about the life of the early Christians, their relationships, their way of thinking, Lessons that can help us as we together work through what life as KCC looks like. Especially as we head into lockdown number two, which can make our interaction hard. Especially as we think how to reach out together with the good news of Jesus to our town. I think this is a way more important conversation than listening in to Bob and Sharon. So let's listen in. This is a conversation about four things. Firstly, it's a conversation about family. It's a conversation, firstly, about family. I think we see this in a number of ways. Notice verses 7 and 8. Both Tychicus and Onesimus are described as dear brothers. Family language in verse 7 and 8. This man, Tychicus, is a trusted ministry associate of Paul. He's described again in verse 7 as a faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord. This trusted ministry colleague is part of God's family. He's a brother. But so is Onesimus. Now, Onesimus is most likely the same Onesimus that we meet in the letter to Philemon, where we learn there that he is a runaway slave who's now been converted to faith in Christ. 
And so although Onesimus is a slave, he is no longer just a slave. He is also a brother, as much a part of the family as Tychicus is. So these two men are brothers, the free man and the slave, the ministry associate and the runaway. Both have found a place in God's family. Both have found a home through faith in Jesus Christ. See, in the church, as Paul says in chapter 3, verse 11, there is no slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And these two guys are the living expression of that. They're family. The family language is also repeated in verse 15 when Paul asks his greetings to be given to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea. The second way we see this is a conversation about family is because of what Paul wants to do. He wants to update these brothers and sisters in Colossae on his situation. That's why he's sending Tychicus and Onesimus to them. Look at verse 9. Paul says, they will tell you everything that is happening here. They'll fill them in on Paul's news. See, just like we often use our Christmas letters to inform other people what our families have been up to, Paul sends Onesimus and Tychicus for that very reason. And in God's family, it's right that this church knows about Paul's situation so that they can pray for him and encourage him and support him. The third way we see that this lesson, uh, this, letter, uh, this conversation is all about family is because Paul instructs that this letter of Colossians be passed on in turn to another local church, the church at Laodicea, and then that the church in Colossae receive a letter from the church in Laodicea that they already have. That's verse 16. This could be a reference to the letter of the Ephesians, which was probably initially a circular letter when it was first written, or it could refer to a letter from Paul to the church in Laodicea that we haven't got in our Bibles today. But either way, the point is clear. In God's family, there is sharing, connection, deep relationship. And we get that sense when we read uh, the list of greetings that are given. There's a reference to greetings in verse 10 and verse 11 and verse 12 and verse 14 and verse 15 and verse 18. Because that's what family does. They express their love and their affection. They greet each other. This is a conversation all about family. It reminds us, the church is family. God is our father. Jesus is our older brother. And we relate to other Christians as spiritual siblings. We are brothers and sisters together. The language suggests a depth of connection, doesn't it? Of closeness, of, of affinity. The church is a family more than it is a business or a social club. The church is family. God has brought us together. And now we are to love one another. And we all belong in the family on an equal footing. In this family, all can find a home. All can belong. All can find a place through faith in, in Christ. And so the challenge is to live up to this reality in our relationships together. We're family. 
So we don't hold grudges when someone irritates us. We're family. So we forgive if someone annoys us. We're family. So we stick together when things get tough. Prizing our loving unity as more important than our preferences for how things are done. We're family, so meaningfully connecting relationally with others isn't negotiable. It is essential to being part of the church. So let's keep this going as we enter lockdown number two, the least wanted sequel in the world. Let's not retreat into ourselves or into our own four walls, but find ways to connect with others in this church. Meeting where we can. Dropping each other a message. Picking a phone up. To not be concerned to do that is to deny that we are family and it is a matter of disobedience. We are family. Now, the first Christians were conscious that they were family, and this impacted their relationships and the watching world so much. So much to the degree that the early Christians were falsely accused of all sorts of immoral behaviour because they kept talking about loving their brothers and sisters, and that claim was massively understood by their pagan neighbours. But it's striking that that's what they were known for, their love, because they were family. Or may God stir the same love and commitment in us as we listen into the conversation about family. That's the first thing this conversation is about. It's a conversation about family. The second thing this conversation is about for us today is about fellow working. About family and now about fellow working. Bear with me. We'll see how that's the case. It's a conversation about fellow working. It's striking, isn't it, how connected the Apostle Paul was in his ministry. He lists a number of people here who are his partners in the ministry of gospel proclamation and church planting. You see, we can easily think of Paul as a bit of a lone ranger leader, a bit of a rough maverick on his own. But Paul was someone who loved working alongside other people for the sake of the gospel. He's in it, verse 7, with this man Tychicus, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. He's in this work with three Jewish companions, Aristarchus, verse 10, who's in prison with Paul, uh, Mark, and Jesus, also called Justice. Alongside these three Jewish fellow workers, we also meet three Gentile fellow workers. There's Epaphras. We met him already in chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. He's the guy who planted the church in Colossae. There's also Luke, the author of Luke's Gospel, and also Demas, verses 12 through to 14. You see, Paul's fellow workers were Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, united in God's family, brought together through the gospel to share that gospel with others. And that is amazing, because in the first century, Jew and Gentiles did not get along. And that's British understatement to the nth degree. The Jews used to call the Gentiles dogs, It got so bad that if a Jewish girl wanted to marry a Gentile boy, her family would hold a funeral for her rather than a wedding celebration. She was dead to them. Such was the hostility between Jew and Gentile. But here it is, the gospel. 
the good news of Jesus that has overcome this hostility and brought Jew and Gentile together in the same mission alongside the Apostle Paul. It's a conversation all about fellow working for the gospel. Fellow working. I think this is, in in part, at least, what it means to belong to God's family. You see, we are brought together through the gospel to share that gospel with others. And we can work together as family to promote the gospel in Kenilworth. How? Well, remember what we saw last week, the beginning of chapter 4. Paul encourages us to pray for people, just like him, who are involved in sharing the gospel with others. That's there in chapters 4, verses uh, 3 to 4. So we work together for the gospel by praying for those who are set aside to share that gospel. Maybe those who preach in this church. Maybe a missionary you know around the world. Maybe someone whose job it is to share the gospel in different settings. We can be fellow workers as we pray for them, in Paul's words, verses 3 and 4, that they will proclaim the mystery of Christ clearly. And we can work together to promote the gospel by being, in the words of verse 4 and 5, wise in the way we all act towards outsiders. Making the most of every opportunity, as Paul urges us to. Letting our conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that we might know how to answer everyone. And as family, we can all be involved in this. So let's commit to working together as family to promote the gospel in this town. Supporting one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another on in this task. Especially through our relationships in journey groups, which gives us a really obvious context to share and support one another in for this thing. We're not in this on our own. We're in it together. It's a conversation, secondly, all about fellow working. So a conversation about family, about fellow working. Thirdly, this is a conversation all about focus. Focus. Especially the focus modelled by Epaphras and the focus urged on a fellow called Archippus. Let's look at Epaphras first. His focus is on praying. Look at verse 12. He's praying hard for the spiritual stability of the church in Colossae. Paul says, verse 12, he is always wrestling in prayer for you so that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. What a great picture. I kind of think of Epaphras as the spiritual equivalent of Dwayne the Rock Johnson, up for a spiritual wrestling match. He is always wrestling in prayer so that this church may stand firm spiritually, grasping their place in God's big story, confident in Christ, assured of the fullness that is available to them in him, so that they don't listen to the new voices pushing their heretical brand of Christianity. But such prayer is hard work, strenuous effort. It's pictured as a grappling with God until he pours out his blessings upon the church. That is Epaphras' focus. We also hear Paul urging a, a, a man called Archippus to a similar focus in verse 17. 
tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. Now, we can't be entirely clear what Archippus's ministry was. Best guess, he was probably involved in some sort of church leadership in the church in Colossae and was being called to step up to deal with the threat of the false teachers. But for some reason, Archippus was dawdling, treading water. Hence Paul's exhortation, get on with it, get stuck in, finish what Jesus has called you to. He's urging Archippus to a crystal clear focus that he needs to complete the task that Jesus has for him. Friends, what a challenge for us. I think one of the greatest challenges in church life is keeping the right focus on the right things. It is all too easy to get distracted, to be divided, to all end up pulling in different directions. Kind of like what happens when you set off a party popper and the silly string goes everywhere. So we need focus. We need focus as we walk together through days of uncertainty, preparing for more disruption under lockdown number two. We need focus so that we come together rather than pull apart. We need focus as we prepare for leadership transition in this church in the coming months. And our focus must be the same as Epaphras's. We need to focus on ongoing, committed, agonising prayer for the spiritual growth of this church. Frequently, deliberately praying that we together would stand firm in all the will of God, not shifted, not drifting away from God's big story in the gospel. We should be praying for one another that we make progress towards spiritual maturity and the full assurance of all that Jesus has for us. We should pray these things on our own. We should pray these things in our families. We should pray these things in our church prayer meetings. Maybe we even need to uh, promote our prayer meetings as fight nights. That's an idea that might appeal to some of us. Maybe that takes us closer to what prayer really is. to wrestling with God for his grace and blessing. That's how serious it is. So can I urge you, let us make this our prayer focus for one another in KCC as we enter lockdown number two. Let's pray deliberately for these things for one another. And let's recognise we might be part of the answers to our prayers and so get stuck in to whatever work Jesus has called us to in the life of this church. This is how we should respond when we hear this conversation about focus. It's a conversation, thirdly, about focus. Fourthly, and finally, this is a conversation about faithfulness. Family, fellow working, focus, faithfulness. A conversation about faithfulness. Look down at verse 7 and 8. Again, both Tychicus and Onesimus are commended for being faithful. It's the word that's used. In other words, they're constant, consistent, dependable in their commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ and their love for the church. They're faithful. 
Paul himself has been faithful to the charge God's given him. That's why he's in prison after all. Remember what he says in chapter 1, verse 24. He talks about filling up in his flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. That's why Paul's in prison. That's why when the news about Paul reaches Colossae, verse 8, these believers will be encouraged in heart because as they hear about Paul's chains, they'll be persuaded Paul is still faithful to the gospel he preached. Paul ends, verse 18, asking the Colossians to remember his chains. They speak of his faithfulness to the gospel, his absolute dedication to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, he says in chapter 1, verse 27, the hope of glory. But, of course, Paul wants to inspire the church in Colossae and us today to a similar commitment and faithfulness to the gospel. So will we, will you, will I remember Paul's chains and be encouraged to be faithful to the gospel like he was? Faithfulness to the gospel looks like sticking with the truths about Jesus taught us in the Bible Rather than running off after new, exciting ideas we might hear online or read about in books that have nothing to do with him. It looks like keeping with King Jesus when many voices around us suggest Jesus is a good place to start, but the real action happens elsewhere. It looks like believing and rejoicing that the fullness of God dwells in Christ and we've been brought to fullness in him. It looks like grasping our new identity as those who are in Christ, so that Christ is our life. It looks like living out that new identity so that we grow as Christians, getting rid of sin and pursuing holiness. It looks like developing peaceful, gentle, harmonious relationships in our church. It looks like seeking to build a Christian marriage. It looks like seeking to raise a Christian family. It looks like speaking to God about people. It looks like speaking to people about God. Those are all ways Paul, in this letter of Colossians, urges us to faithfulness to the gospel. So friends, as we finish this letter, let's take these things to heart. Maybe there is a specific challenge that has come to you from the book of Colossians. But pray at home. Put it into practice. Get support from another Christian to help you do it. Set your heart on gospel faithfulness. That's the fourth thing this conversation is about. Sometimes overhearing a conversation can be awkward. We're not here. We've been invited to listen into this conversation from the early church, and I hope you've been encouraged as we've done that. We've overheard things about family about fellow working, about focus, about faithfulness. So as we finish, we need to ask the question, how can we do this? Well, by remembering how the letter to Colossians begins and ends, look back at chapter 1, verse 2. Look at how the letter starts. Paul commends, verse 2, grace to us 
from God our Father. It begins with grace. And verse 18 in chapter 4, the letter ends with grace as well. Here is Paul's prayer request. Grace be with you. So if we are to live as family, if we're to be fellow workers, if we're to develop the right focus and keep faithful, then we need to keep reminding ourselves of God's wonderful free grace. Grace that comes to us in Jesus through his life and death and resurrection. Grace we'll remember tangibly as we share the supper together in a few moments. Grace that's been mediated to us through Christ. Grace that has given us everything we need spiritually so that we lack nothing in Jesus. So friends, let's be confident in him. And as Paul says in chapter 2, just as we received Christ Jesus as Lord, so let's continue to live our lives in him. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as we have been taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Let's pray for that to happen. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you. For all that we've thought about and learnt and studied in the recent weeks as we've worked through this amazing letter to the Colossians. Thank you for how it's shown us the fullness and supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus again and again and again. Thank you that if we have Christ, we have everything. I thank you for the way that having Christ is meant to transform every area of our lives. As our Lord, he really does claim all of us, body and soul, public and private, work and rest, outside the home and inside the home. Help us, please, to live lives under the good, gracious, loving rule of the Lord Jesus that show his beauty and testify to his grace. Father, as we've considered today, please help us to hear these words and set our hearts on being family together, thinking of one another as brothers and sisters, to be loved and engaged with deeply and meaningfully. Help us, please, to do that as we head into lockdown in ways that will encourage one another and be for our good and joy. Father, help us to be mindful of how we can work together for the work and sake of the gospel in our families and this town, praying for those who are involved in proclaiming the mystery of Christ and being wise in our own speech and actions to those who are outsiders so that we too might have chances to speak of you and share our hope in Christ. Please help us to be people who develop the right focus as well. Keep us together, united, pulling us, same direction in these days in which we live. Help us particularly to be prayerful one for another as we uh, anticipate physical absence in profound ways in the coming months. Help us to wrestle in prayer for our brothers and sisters here, that together we may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Help us ultimately, Father, to be people who seek faithfulness to the gospel. Wherever your word has pressed home and bitten in these coming weeks, give us courage to put it into practice, to live it out, 
as a mark of our allegiance to Christ and as a response of gospel faithfulness, which was true for the Apostle Paul. It led him to change, such was his commitment to the gospel. It will mean far less things to us, I'm sure. But help us nonetheless to have a similar focus on faithfulness to you, we pray, for our good and for your glory. Amen.